Well, we've just heard about Mr. Evangelist, and all of us, as those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, are called to give an account of that hope that is within us, and to be ready to speak of the Saviour and of our faith, and to give testimony to the things of the gospel. And this morning, in this section of God's Word, we're going to be uh, confronted with the realities of being gospel witnesses. Now, we saw last week that some of the specific instructions that Jesus was giving to His disciples then were very specific to their particular circumstances, although there were underlying principles which still apply today. And as we continue to read through these words which Jesus gave to His apostles, we begin to realize uh, that there are uh, those principles laid down for us here, uh, which have truly been the experience of countless numbers of the Lord's people through the long centuries since, and continue to be the experience of many Christians today. And so we, we note with great care some of the things that, that Jesus points out here as He speaks to his apostles and lets them know something of what their experience will be and the kind of reception that they can expect to receive. The realities of being gospel witnesses. And the first thing that Jesus highlights to them and for us today is this. Persecution is certain. Persecution is certain. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's a rather interesting analogy for Jesus to use, isn't it? If you wanted to choose an animal that was going to represent this great vanguard that was going to go out into the world and, and be a, a great force for good and, and achieve a great conquest in the world. Who would choose a sheep to give such an image? But Jesus uses this analogy that we will be as sheep in the midst of wolves. If you had a field, and in that field you had a flock of sheep and a pack of wolves, there's only one outcome, isn't there? It's a, it's a striking analogy that Jesus chooses to use here. You will be as sheep amongst wolves, vulnerable under attack, threatened. And it suggests immediately that this is going to require a firm resolve. A firm resolve is needed to be a Christian in this world, in this world because Christ has already promised to strengthen and equip them and to give them that which they'll need to do this work. 
Therefore, he says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Christian work requires much wisdom, much grace. At times, it requires a certain type of shrewdness. We actually see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? We see this in the way that he handles some of those who come to oppose him. It requires us to live lives of integrity. Uh, it, it requires us at times to use what we might like to call a, a sanctified common sense, which is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. As those of us who I trust are, are taking time to read and learn God's Word and allow it to change us and mould us and shape us in our thinking and in our motives and in our attitudes. And as the Holy Spirit applies those truths of the Word into our hearts and upon our minds, that we begin to think in a more Christ-like way and in a more godly way. And, and that uh, those things uh, which start to seem obvious to us as Christians are so because it is the work of the Spirit and the Word taking effect within us. And so we need wisdom and we need grace because we're going to be like sheep amongst a pack of wolves as we take the gospel out into this world because the gospel will immediately and frequently produce a reaction against the truth that we're declaring. And so we need to be wise, says Jesus. And the scripture bids us, ask for the wisdom that you know you need and it will be given you. And we're to be harmless as doves. We're to give no offence. Now the gospel itself and the truths of the gospel people will often find offensive, but as for those who are the mouthpiece to the gospel, harmless as doves. We read through the teachings of the Apostle Paul, for example, and we discover there uh, that wherever he went, uh, he sought only to be able to provide a, a platform by which he could share with people the good news of the Saviour. And so he would take into account wherever he went um, uh, the culture of the people he was amongst, uh, not that he would compromise in any way his own Christian standing, but that he would seek not to cause unnecessary offence. So if he went into a Jewish home, uh, he would be quite happy uh, to, to eat all of the Jewish food that was placed before him uh, so as not to immediately cause a stumbling block to the gospel. Uh, if he was in a Jewish home, he was quite happy to be amongst them as a Jew. Likewise, if he went into the home of a Gentile, uh, he wouldn't cause a huge, huge furore because they weren't following all the Jewish food laws and so forth and, and those things which at one time were so special to him as a Pharisee. He was quite happy uh, to, to sit amongst those people in a Gentile home and accept them as they are in that sense so that he would, he would be able to sit down with them and talk through the things of the gospel with them. So there was nothing brusque about him that would immediately cause people's heckles to rise because of the kind of man he was 
or the kind of attitude that he displayed towards them. No, no, he was gentle as a dove with people as much as he ever was able to be in order that people would be open and receptive to him as a man as he sought to declare the gospel to them. We see when he's on Mars Hill, surrounded by all of these idols, which surely in one sense would have been stirring up within him a really godly and righteous anger in one sense to see all of these people so given over to the worship of these false idols all around him. But we see in him a wisdom and we see in him one who is harmless as a dove as he stands and speaks. And he speaks to them with great compassion and with great affection. Let me tell you about this statue which you've dedicated to this unknown God. Please give me a hearing. Let me tell you about this unknown God. And we see in him this kind of wisdom that Jesus is urging upon his disciples and, and this being harmless as a dove. We, we see this kind of thing even in the Old Testament. Do you remember that time uh, where David, before he was actually the king of Israel and Saul was on the throne and David was being persecuted by Saul and there was that occasion in 1 Samuel chapter 24 when David and his men were hiding at the back of a cave and Saul came in and David was under pressure from those men who were still loyal to him to just do away with Saul, uh, take his life. And there in the cave, the men who were with him believed that David had the perfect opportunity to do just that. And that was the occasion when David crept up and he just cut, cut a little corner off the edge of Saul's cloak and later would hold it up to Saul to say, look, the Lord had placed you in my hand and I could have taken your life, but I didn't. And David's heart was broken even over the fact that he cut the, the corner off Saul's cloak. This, this man is the anointed king of Israel, he said to those who were loyal to him. How, how would I dare to raise my hand against him? And so we see there in David this same kind of attitude. One who is wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove in his dealings with the man who would oppose him. Saul was out to take his life from him. But there we see the graciousness of a man of God on display. I believe it's exactly the same kind of character that Christ is urging upon his disciples here as they go out with the gospel in this world. There will be those who have it in for you. But don't rise to them. Don't allow your own heckles to rise. You'll need grace. You'll need wisdom. Do not give offense. Keep the door open for your own testimony and for the speaking of the gospel, he's saying to them. And Jesus actually points out then uh, some of the kinds of opposition that Christians can expect to receive. He talks first of all from verse 17 
about the use of civil authorities to oppose you, and even physical assault. They'll deliver you up to councils. They'll bring you before governors and kings for my sake. Well, we don't have to look very far or go back very far in church history uh, to see these kinds of things being used against the Lord's people uh, in order to silence the, the, the truth of the gospel is offensive to unbelievers. That They would rather not have these things being said. They don't want to have their own sinfulness highlighted. Uh, you remember John the Baptist uh, pointed out uh, the, the sin of the king in his day, uh, which eventually resulted in him losing his head. Uh, but these are the kinds of things that Christian can ex Christians can expect to happen. Uh, and Jesus knows full well uh, that this kind of opposition will come against the Lord's people. Beware of men. Be wise to them. And I think, I think Jesus is saying two things here. I think he's saying on the one hand, you need to be ready because these things will happen. And at the same time, having said what he said in verse 16, don't be reckless though. Don't go out of your way to have this happen to you. Uh, be wise. Uh, there perhaps are situations when the gospel need not be compromised at all, and yet you can still avoid such things happening to you because you've just been wise in your actions and in your choice of words. But nevertheless, be ready because this is the kind of thing that men will do to you. In our own day, there are certain things at the moment happening in our own nation and in other uh, nations where there are Christian churches, where there is much that is taking place within government legislation, which is moving more and more against uh, the open declaration of Christian truth and of the gospel, and where legislation is, is being used against Christian people. Uh, we've seen it in our own nation. We've seen it in other European countries. Um, it's happening in places like Canada and in countries like Australia, where governments are clamping down on the freedoms of Christians to declare the truths of the Word of God or face the consequences if you do. Well, Jesus just warns us here, you should expect such things, be ready for such things. And when those things do happen, because he says, you will be brought before governments and kings for my sake. These things will happen. Expect them to happen. And when they do, do not fear. Because then I will give you the words to speak and the words to say. I will be with you. I will be in it with you. And I will see you through these things. These, says Jesus, are the realities of being gospel witnesses in this world. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it. But keep all of your hope and your trust in me. All will be well. We see this in the life of Paul, don't we? Again and again, 
he's hauled up before various authorities, especially through those closing uh, chapters of the book of Acts of the Apostles. But they were a means for him. It says that, doesn't it? You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Even there, that is your opportunity that I am giving you to testify of me. So it was for the Apostle Paul, as he was able to stand before Roman governors and give testimony. Some of them almost convinced to become a Christian through his testimony. Some of those who guarded him, we believe, coming to saving faith in Christ because of the, the gospel opportunities that his incarceration opened up to him. Well, Jesus is talking about all of those things here. The realities of being gospel witnesses, persecution is certain. And when it's for the sake of Christ, even then, it's so that you might be a living testimony of God's grace and power within you. And God will be with you. And he will give you the enabling that you need. And then he goes on from verse 21 to talk about the, the severe division and heartache and even bloodshed that can occur within families. Even within family groups, when the gospel comes in, it can cause all kinds of issues and problems. Brother, deliver up brother to death. A father, deliver up his child to death. Children against their parents. And we look around the world and back through church history, and again, we see many occasions when for those uh, from certain backgrounds to turn to Christ and to say that they are a follower of Christ, it will immediately bring great hostility against them, even from their own family, who would readily and willingly put them to death. Now, we've heard of people, uh, there are people in this congregation who know of individuals who are under that kind of threat and danger. Those who come from a Muslim background are a good example of that, but it's not unique to them. And to stand up and to reject their culture, their religion, for the name of Christ, it's the biggest shame their family could ever feel. The ultimate humiliation amongst all of their friends and neighbours. And the only right thing to do is to have that family member put to death. And there are millions of people around the world today who will find themselves in that situation if they name Christ. But even over here, you know, this kind of thing happens in other ways, which might not seem quite so extreme, but for the individuals concerned, can be just as much of a heartache. I remember hearing of a Quite a number of years ago now, a pastor telling of uh, a man who came to see him who was absolutely burning with rage. Why? Because his teenage boy had become converted at the church youth club. And that young lad's life had completely been transformed. And his father was 
burning with rage. And it was over things like this. Saturday afternoon. What does a man like that do with his teenage boy as he's approaching the age of 18? Well, they spend the whole afternoon out together. Where do they go first? Well, they go down to the betting office and place a few pounds on the horses. Then down to the pub. Have a good few drinks. Then down to the football match, when all football used to be played at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And we'll stand in the terraces together. And we'll join in all the chanting and we'll all, all the singing. And then straight back into the pub afterwards, when the game is over. And then call back into the bookies on our way home to see if we've won anything. And perhaps for many of you this morning, you're thinking, and? But you see, for that man, that was his life. And all of his aspirations for his boy were caught up in all those things. And for him to be able to introduce his son to all of those things which were his life, that his boy would share in those things with him. That was everything to that man. And all of a sudden, his teenage boy is saying, I'm sorry, Dad. That can't be for me. That's not for me. I'm a Christian now. And so enraged was that father, he came knocking on that pastor's door. What have you done to my boy? You've ruined my life. Not so very far away, you see. Jesus says, listen, the gospel will do this. The gospel divides even families and households. When the grace of God comes into one life, and changes it completely. Maybe there are some who you know of who are in that kind of situation. Maybe there's even someone here this morning. And the gospel for you is a very great cost. Those of us who had the, the, the great privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and only as you hear stories like that is the, the depth and the extent of that privilege really brought home. We can barely understand, if we're honest, what others are actually going through, but Jesus makes it clear here for us the realities of being gospel witnesses can often be very, very great, very, very costly. Be ready for this. Jesus is saying. Be ready to have to deal with those for whom it brings such great cost. Be ready to love them, support them, to try and understand them, to get alongside them. Because there will be those who will be saved for whom it costs like this. Uh, not only might it be a great cost 
for you taking the gospel to them. But for those to whom the gospel comes, it will be of great cost to them also. These can be the realities of being gospel witnesses. And verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. It's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say by some, by all. The true message of the gospel when brought to men and women in their sinfulness. Unless God does that saving work of grace within them. So often only hatred and opposition will come out of them. Now sometimes in places like the UK they might do it ever so politely. But the opposition is just as real. The rejection is just as real even though they might do it with a polite, no, thank you, that's not for me. Be ready and certain for this, Jesus says. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Keep on, keep on, keep on. Gospel work and Christian work, it's not a bed of roses. Life in the New Testament church was not a bed of roses. There'll be heartaches, there'll be difficulties. Press on, keep on, keep on. And then in verse 23, is an interesting one. Jesus gives them liberty to move on. Do you notice that? Liberty to move on. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another Now, of course, you will read of occasions, you'll know of some uh, situations where a particular gospel work has been going on and on and on for decades. Sometimes with just one or a handful of people remaining faithful in that work. And this is not to say that people in that kind of situation are wrong to stay there and and to persist and to persevere in that one place. But what Jesus does give us the liberty to do is to come to that decision using this wisdom that God gives us and grants us to know that, well, the gospel is preached, the gospel work is done, it's being rejected and rejected, but there are so many other places who have yet to hear. So let's leave this place And let's move on. And let's go elsewhere. And we see there, Jesus gives the liberty for them to do that. And when persecution comes against you, Jesus says, it's not not a godless thing not to remain there. But be at liberty to move to another place. Of course, we see the persecuted church did that during New Testament times and they took the gospel with them. Many of the churches that were planted during that time were because of persecution and the Christians moved on and they took the gospel with them and the persecution came and they moved on and they took the gospel with them. And so we see that Jesus provides us here with a very comprehensive overview and he's he's not putting these straitjackets on them for every situation. There are these important principles 
which they, may, they must take hold of. There are these important principles that they must never let go of. But at the same time, he also gives them a liberty and a freedom in the gospel work that they're being called to do also. And the important thing that all of this that is coming against them is for Christ's sake. It's because of him. It's because of their Christian testimony. And it's because of their gospel witness that all of these things will be happening to them. So persecution is certain. It will come against you in all kinds of ways. It will be found in all kinds of places and even within the home. This world will be opposed to the gospel and those who preach it. But keep on. And when persecution comes your way, if it becomes too severe, it, it, it's, not, it's not a lack of faith to move on to another place. Do it, says Jesus, taking the gospel with you. And at the end of there, of verse 23, Jesus is basically saying this, there will always be somewhere else that needs the gospel. Throughout the whole gospel age, there will always be another place to go. There will always be others who need to hear about Christ. So keep on. You will never exhaust all the opportunities that there are out there before Christ returns. You'll never be able to sit back and say, well, there's nowhere else that needs it. There's nowhere else to go. There is nowhere that hasn't heard the gospel. There is nowhere where there is no church. So press on in all the work that you're doing because the opportunities will always be vast. The harvest field will always be white before you. And then secondly, Jesus, as an encouragement to us, points out that you're following in his own footsteps and you're cherished by him. We see that from verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. The disciple should be like his teacher. The servant should be like their master. And if the master of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more will they behave like that towards you? Now, of course, we've already heard the Pharisees say to the people, or try to say to the people, all of these things that Jesus does, that's because he's a worker of Satan. All of these things are being done in the power and name of Satan. And Jesus is saying, look, be mindful of how people are treating me. And don't expect any better for yourselves. The disciple is not above his teacher. And so it behoves us, you see, to to know and to understand the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does us good to read through the Gospels and to be reminded of his life and to see how he was with people and to see how he dealt with people and then to remember the kind of things that came against him and to realize why should we expect any better than that for ourselves? Who do we think we are? that we should fare better than Christ in terms of how the world might react against us. And the fact of the matter is, 
even though we look around at the world today and we see how things are moving against the gospel and against gospel freedoms and against those who want to preach the gospel, the kind of treatment that you and I have received is nothing compared to what Christ endured. It doesn't even come close. Now it may yet get closer. It may well do. But we're reminded here to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ and to remember all that he endured, to remember the way that he suffered and that he himself would plead with us, would plead with you not to consider yourself as deserving better than he had or that he received. But to... Re to be ready to put yourself alongside to him. Do not fear them, he says in verse 26. There's nothing covered that won't be revealed. There's nothing hidden that will not be known. All things are known to the Lord. And the wickedness of men always comes to light. Sometimes the wickedness comes to light in the here and now and we see it and, and they reveal their true colours in this world and we know who they are. But remember too, there will, all, there will also be that last great day when all things will be revealed and all things will be made known. There's that last great day coming where we read the books will be opened and accounts will be kept and a great reckoning will take place. And all things will be open and revealed and made known. All the wickedness of men will come to light and receive its just reward. And so Jesus exhorts us to remember this. As men may work against you, it's all known to your God in heaven. All will be dealt with one day. Yours is to remain faithful and press on in the work of the gospel. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'll be with you. They are known to me. Nothing about these who oppose you is hidden from Christ's eyes. He sees and knows it all. And he'll be with you. Do not fear, he says. And what are we to do? Well, verse 27, we are, simply, we are to be faithful heralds of the truth. Herald the truth. What I've told you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Make it known. Just make it known. Be my heralds, be my declarers of truth and of Christ and of the gospel. Verse 28, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear man and what man may do to you. 
but fear God. And for those of you who are not Christians, uh, this is a really important truth that you need to take hold of. That of all the things that can happen to you in this world, there is nothing like falling into the hands of the living God as an unbeliever on that last day. When all of your life, all of your sins, he will call you to give an account of them to him. Fear the one who is able to cast you body and soul into hell. And that should be a great burden for us who are believers, shouldn't it? That that is what is befalling all who remain outside of Christ. And that is a truth which ought to spur us on in the things of the gospel. And so we, we don't fear what men can do to us because there's something of far greater importance. There's something of far greater consequence. We are safe in Christ forever. To lose our lives is only for us to be promoted to glory. What have we to fear? But what of those for whom when they lose their lives, only hell and eternal torment beckons? How can you hold back from this gospel proclamation with these truths before you? And surely this is what Jesus is wanting to impress upon his apostles. And he goes back to one of the things that's uh, said previously about the sparrows. You're of so much value to, to God. You're his children. He's your father. You have no need to fear in these circumstances. You have no need to fear in these situations that will come against you. The Lord is over all of these things and your heavenly, heavenly father will be with you loving you, caring for you. You're following in in Christ's footsteps and you're cherished by him. What is there to fear? Press on. And then, just in a brief conclusion, verses 32 and 33 Jesus just brings it all together. The centrality of Christian witness and its reward. And it's like a little bit of a summary here at verse 32 and 33. Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, Him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The centrality of Christian witness and its reward. What is it that we've been called to as Christians? Well, we could write quite a long list, couldn't we, of things that we've been called to and the duties and the responsibilities that come upon us because we belong to Christ and because we're now God's children. But perhaps one of the very central things of all is shown here in verse 32. It's about confessing Christ before men. 
It's about being those whose lives are distinct in Christ before this world. It's about those who are seen and known as being Christian people, as being members of Christ's church. It's about those who are clearly identified with the things of Christ and His truth and His gospel, confessing Christ before men. What did Jesus say early in the Sermon on the Mount? We are to be lights, not with a basket over the top of them, but set on top of a hill. We are to be salt and light in this world, he says, confessing me before men, making Christ known. And of all the, all the many things that perhaps we could say that a Christian is and that a Christian should do, Surely much of that is all summarised there in verse 32. One who confesses Christ in all things, in your place of work, in your home, in the street where you live. That for me to live is Christ. And that's what people should know about you. That's what people should know about me. That for that person... Christ is everything. For that person, take away Christ and they have nothing. Confess me. Because for those who are in that situation, be assured of this. I am confessing you before my Father. We have one now who is the risen Saviour in heaven who intercedes on behalf of all the saints. And there he is, bringing your name before his heavenly Father. This is one of mine. We have that wonderful prayer in John chapter 17 where Jesus prays for all his disciples, everyone who will ever come to know him. And he unburdens his heart over them. I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That's why you have no need to fear. And these two things in verse 32 go together. This faithful confessing of Christ, because that's what a Christian is. And with that, to know that Christ is confessing you before his Father. Known, loved, prayed for. And to know his gracious provision and care. But if you deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father. Very salutary words, aren't they? Jesus is saying here that one of the true marks of a genuine believer is that you will not shrink back from making Christ known. One of the true marks of a Christian man or woman, or boy or girl, is that there has been such a transformation within you. There's such a conviction within your own soul. Such an assurance of the gospel of Christ within you. That you can do no other than to live your life as a witness and a testimony 
to that power and grace that has so overtaken you. That's what makes you to be a Christian. That's who a Christian is. And if those things aren't there, you don't know him. You don't know him. So, which are you this morning? Which will you be through this coming week in the months and years such as God will give you for the rest of your life? Persecution is certain. But Christ says, don't fear. Follow in my footsteps. Christ will not call you to go anywhere that he has not been. Christ will not call you to experience anything that he has not experienced in this life. There is no physical thing that can come against you. There is no anguish of soul that you will ever know that Christ has not been there before. There is no temptation that you will feel that Christ cannot sympathize with. You're following in his footsteps. Come, walk with me, he's saying. You're loved, you're cherished, you're cared for by a God who knows all things, who will be with you, who will strengthen you, who will give you the words to speak in those circumstances where you think, I haven't got a clue what I will say. Live to make me known. And in heaven, I'm remembering you. And me and my Father, we are with you. And you have this glorious reward in heaven waiting for you. The realities of being gospel witnesses. Christ lays before us. Will you follow me, he's saying. Will you trust me? Will you love me? Will you rely on me? Will you speak of me? Will you take me into the world? No matter what it, no matter what it costs, no matter what it brings, Will you do this for me, for my sake? These are the things which are to galvanize us together as the Lord's people. That together we would share this resolve to make Christ known and to be these witnesses to him in this very needy world. Well, may the Lord help us to truly grapple with these things which Christ places before us here and to give ourselves wholly unto him and his service and to his gospel.